You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, welcome one, welcome all. It's June. It's the June edition of the Cycling Podcast Feminine. And as always, I'm joined by my two fabulous co-hosts, both of them. Well, I was going to say escapees from the Giro, but you both did the <laughs> whole slog and uh, are now are here to talk about um, the women's cycling that's been happening this month. So I'm joined by Orla Shenoui. Hello, both. And Richard Moore. Hello. How are you guys both feeling? You've got very short recovery time. You're almost like Grand Tour champions yourself. Very quick recovery <laughs> time to turn around, do another Grand Tour. Got to get that stomach ready for a few more wines, a few more <laughs> delicious dinners, Richard. Yeah, it's uh, well, I got back a week ago and I've just about recovered um, or just over a week ago. I was pretty ill afterwards, I have to say. Um, I had to delay my, my COVID vaccine and have a Ill COVID test what? instead. Just, I think, just the... The, the, the rich relent- the rich food. The relentlessness of it. Um, <laughs> I, I guess we haven't been used to travelling like that and staying and, and even eating out, eating rich food. Um, mm. maybe, I've got, maybe I've gone soft, I don't know, in my winter <laughs> at home. But it was, well, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, but, yeah, quick recovery for the tour. It's your warm-up grand tour. You'll be fine by the time we get to the Tour de France. You'll be feasting on foie gras. Oh, yeah. Uh, Without yeah, a problem. Ho- ho- yeah, hopefully. You have to see what uh, your Super Sapiens monitor says when you... Mm, well, that'll be that. interesting, I think, at the Tour. Yeah, I might have to... Well, you know, riders sometimes cover up their power meters. So that, so that <laughs> yeah. I might, I might have to put sort of masking tape over my monitor. <laughs> oh, God. In denial. Yeah. And all, or I guess the food is not so rich in Bath, but... Yes, many a Nando's was consumed in Bath, I have to say. Uh, th- that's where the Eurosport studios are for our cycling coverage in GCN. So I spent four weeks in all in Bath because obviously I had to quarantine for five days at the front of that. So I just got back a week ago as well. So enjoying uh, what is gloriously sunny mm. weather in Amsterdam, getting back to home life and... Um, being with the kids before doing it all for the Tour de France and then the Olympics and then the Vuelta they all run into one this year which is a bit daunting um, and then that's so just nice Christmas to... then isn't it and then much. it's just Christmas say, the, nights, the, nights are, the nights are almost drawing in aren't they <laughs> yeah yeah. And then... what a lovely year 2021 was eh but at least we've got plenty of women's racing to talk about exactly that's a nice, that's a nice escape and we should savour uh, all of the racing that we had here in June without thinking too much about the rest of the year running away with us. So what, what do we have? Well, we have uh, an interview that Ola has done with Elise Chabay. I think it's Elise Chabay, not Shabby. I know commentators say Shabby, but I can't imagine that it... Shabby. Shabby. It sounds... sounds I yeah. mean, I hope Shabby's it's Shabby so, so that we can make the not too Shabby joke yeah, as, that's as many true. times as we like. But well, anyway, so she was the she won stage one of the Tour de Suisse in really exciting fashion, and then uh, and then missed out on taking the overall. But Orla will get to that in her news roundup, of course. So we've got an interview with her coming up. Uh, I did an interview with Paulina Royakas, who's been having a really stonking uh, season so far, and really seems to have upped her game uh, with Live Racing across the Spanish races. 
And then we've got, um, we're taking a little bit of a turn off-road, I guess we could say, for the end of the program, when Richard takes us on a journey onto the gravel roads um, to hear from Lauren de Crescenzo. Uh, and she won the Unbound Gravel Race, which, you know, I'm not too familiar with gravel racing, but sounds, seeing as her winning time was 12 hours and 6 minutes and 49 seconds, yeah, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a bumper race. So, well, let's uh, let's get on with it then, shall we? Orla, do you want to take us on your magical mystery news roundup? <laughs> let's do it. Um, starting at the Vuelta a Burgos, then it was the um, first stage race of the year and the only women's world tour race actually since last we met. Although there has been plenty of racing. Um, And if you're a rider on an Olympic squad that's not the Netherlands, look away now, cover your ears, because the GC podium was filled with Dutchies. Anna van der Breche on the top step, Annemiek van Vleuten behind, and Demi Vollering finishing in third. The only rider missing from that Olympic squad was Mariana Voss, and that's because Jumbo Visma decided not to go to the race. Um, It was also, incidentally, an SD Verks 1-3 with van der Breche and Vollering. A notable mention, I think, has to go to Clara Koppenberg as well, finishing in fourth. She was the only rider from a non-Women's World Tour team in the top 15 racing for rally cycling. And that's a best result in two years for the 25-year-old German after a few team switches in the last few seasons. So a really good performance from her. Quick run through the stage winners. Um, Stage one, bike exchanges, Grace Brown. Um, Stage two, Anastasia Christina of Ali BTC Ljubljana. Cecily Utrup Ludwig took stage three and Anna van der Breche took stage four. And it was, of course, Utrecht Ludwig's first Women's World Tour win after nine podiums, 12 actually if you include team time trials, and a first win of the year for FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope. Now, as I said, that was the only Women's World Tour race since we last gathered, dear brethren. Uh, But Burgos did round off a 12-day racing stint in Spain with many of the big names taking part in the four races prior. Um, A great example, I'd say, of how to organise a calendar well, because these races are all 1.1, but coming as a sort of a block of mountainous one-day races, there's not much need for travel in between, so close in time and distance to Burgos, it meant that all the top teams were there. So um, results are noteworthy because of the field of competition, if nothing else. My pronunciation, though, might need a little bit of sirenage from the the old police, the Polizzi. Scottish name coming up. <laughs> Scottish name coming up. Where's that one? No, I, I just presumed that was that would be what you. It'd have to be with. the only. Spe- yeah, you're you're with a different pronunciation police here, or like. none, none it, of us are oh, going to yeah, be picking you up on your <laughs> Spanish. Is it Flirty Mackay? No, it's the, it just even the name of the race. I never get this right. The Amakamine Nefaroaka Women's Elite Classics. And that was taken by Annemiek van Vleuten with uh, following second and Lisa Longobrigini in third. The Navarra Women's Elite Classics was won by Arlena Sierra, Ruth Winder in second and van Vleuten in third. The Grand Premio Ciudad de Eibar. I don't know if they do Ciudad or Ciudad in Eibar. Someone will know. Uh, anyway, that was van der Breche taking the win there with van Vleuten in second and Alisa Longoborghini in third and Durango Durango my favourite name of a race Imakamine Saria won by Anna van der Breche with Van Vleuten in second and Cecily Utrecht Ludwig in third and Simon Le Bon fourth 
Uh, now, after that, we had the Lotto Turingen Ladies Tour. It was won by Lucinda Brand, who took two stage wins, with Lorena Vivas also doubling up with wins and other stages going to Emma Norsgaard and Lotta Kopecki. Norsgaard finished third overall and won the Young Riders classification. It blows my mind that she's a young rider. I feel like because of her success, she's she's older than that and more experienced than that. Um, testament to her. And Kopecki finishing in second on GC. And we had our first women's Tour de Suisse in 20 years with stage one, as Rose said, and the first leader's jersey going to Elise Chabet. I'm going to go with Chabet, although I do prefer the Chabet for our puns. Um, Outsprinting Lizzie Diagon into the line to take her first professional win. And stage two was won by Marta Bastianelli. That's her first win in 18 months with the overall win taken by Lizzie Diagon. So those two doing it for the mums. Doing yes. it entirely for themselves, of course, and their teams. But us mums can take some <laughs> some pleasure in that all the same when we can barely brush our hair of a morning. Um, but it was a really interesting stage two because Shabby had crashed um, and Trek Segafredo then worked to take the bonus seconds on those intermediate sprints of the 11 lap circuit. So Diagonan took the first sprint. She started the day, was at four seconds, I think, behind Shabby. She took the first sprint. Shabby's teammate, Alexis Ryan, took the second. But Diagonan was just behind that. So that left her with one second um, in the lead going into the finish line. So she was essentially defending her virtual lead, which she did in a very, very welcome first win of the season for Lizzie Diagonan. Two more races. Dvars Doorhead Hageland, won by Chantal Vandenbroek Black, and Dvars Door de Vesthoek, which is won by Lorena Vibis. And after all of that, Annemiek van Vleuten has the Women's World Tour leaders purple jersey, taking it from Elisa Longoborghini. Um, and there was a really interesting uh, quote from her, I think it was on Cycling News, saying that she found it more important to be taking the leaders' jersey than taking a race win. Um, because she said it was, it, you know, it showed consistency, and I quite like that. And I feel like we've been trying to work out the the status of the leader's jersey since it was introduced. And I would love to see it take on more importance like that, because apart from anything else, it gives us that narrative throughout the year, doesn't it? And I think it becomes easier for people outside cycling or newbies to the sport to understand that there's one leader through all of the races. I think it can be because it's such a, an unusual sport with the different classification of different races and, uh, you know, different importance for different teams. I think it's nice to have something that's consistent. I don't know what you guys think. No, it's interesting because I remember when I was working on the Women's World Tour um, highlights when they introduced um, having that, or they introduced the Women's World Tour as it is, um, and introduced that jersey and trying to... 2016, wasn't it, I think? Oh, God, all of my my dates are not good. But yeah, we started, Richard, I think. I think you're right. Yeah, I think, you're right. I think it would be, and uh, and it was very obviously you you know you're tasked by getting these po- really positive sounding quotes about the jersey mm. and what it means and its standing and importance, and it was back then it was absolutely totally impossible to get any rider to say that they were bothered in the slightest about wearing <laughs> yeah. it or or getting it because you know what was more important were those individual wins. So it's it's amazing how it's how it's come on and I think that that comes with any jersey it has to have a bit of history and past to to have the prestige to be something that people uh at, you know are concerned about and actually want want to win I wish it wasn't kind of that purpley reddish color that just because you do kind of lose it a little bit among all of the purpley especially this season yeah purpley what reddish color would you go for? jerseys 
I would go for like a neon green, maybe. Yeah. Or lime. That's definitely, yeah. It's got to, you've got to go for something that, but it's impossible, isn't it? Because you would pick lime and then next year all the teams will have lime jerseys. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. Certainly the Women's World Tour has more meaning and coherence to it than the Men's World mm, Tour. That's certainly. true. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's more streamlined, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's no, I guess for riders, there's no substitute to crossing the line with your arms in there. Mm. But winning, wearing the, the jersey, it is a shame that it clashes with so many other team jerseys this year um i'm not sure what color because i think it's quite a good color <laughs> it's just well i mean could could they do what they do for the grand tours in that not allowing teams to have predominantly purple and not allowing that clash that would make sense mm. because all the teams will be changing their jerseys next year anyway it'd be quite easy to say you know you're not allowed a predominantly purple color because that's the most prestigious jersey in the peloton if that if they want to sort of reinforce that narrative i think yeah it's interesting also because Obviously, with the Giro Rosa this year, isn't a women's world tour race, but I've no doubt that people still, because the you know the the Malia Rosa, the Giro Rosa means so much, people are still going to be going for that race. So I th- I think it's uh yeah, it's a slight it's a it's a jersey that has slightly a, a strange posi- position, I think. But you know, I'm glad that people kind of are respecting it more and more. And then when it's lime yeah, when it's lime green, then people will want it even more desperately. <laughs> I've no doubt. Absolutely. Bring back the nineties. Yeah. Um well in other news, well actually there's one more race, of course, because we have mentioned it and we'll be hearing a little bit more about it. I um have to confess I don't know much about Unbound Gravel two hundred and it's one of those that um flooded my timeline at the weekend and I suddenly thought, Does everybody has everybody known about this for a long time? Or is it a North American influence on my timeline or what was it or does everybody just suddenly jump on and say you know get excited about it because everyone else is a brutal race as you say and it's something that we're going to be hearing um, more about later in the show um, because as you say taken by Lauren de Crescenzo hope I got that right um, and we'll be hearing from her. In other news, Lotta Kopecky has signed a three-year deal with SG Verks, leaving Live Racing at the end of the year. What do you make of that? Is it a reward for her disappointing season? <laughs> you no, know, don't start this again. Uh, it's, um, well, I was surprised to see her paraded by her new team so publicly like that. You know, very unusual for... And live allowing it, really. Yeah, very strange. Very strange because... Um, you know, normally these deals are announced after August the 1st or, or not announced, but they they slip out. And this idea, I can't think of another case of a rider still riding for a team for the rest of the year and being presented in, in that sort of way by their new team for the following year. Really, really strange. I mean, mm. you know, she'll be racing against SD Works for the rest of the year. With her it's a long team. year, isn't it? It's, lo- it's, it's, it's still a lot of racing, yeah. Yeah, huge I, I find it very odd. Yeah, it's, I, I'm kind of, uh, I mean, it's a it's a big, big move, isn't it? Because, I mean, I think Lottie Kopecky, um, she's done very well at, at being with Liv um, this season, had a bit of disappointment, but we won't get into, you know, <laughs> all of those dynamics again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can't see, SD Work's going to be so powerful that I can't help but feel a little bit... Um, feel slightly disappointed I guess that that the talent they are kind of becoming just they've always been like the talent magnet obviously but they really are sweeping up um the people who are good in every single uh discipline so it, it kind of I'm really enjoying this year where there is a little bit of, we've seen SD Works be very dominant but you know Trek Segafredo um have 
you know, pushed them all the way. And we've seen other FDJ Movistar. and Liv and Movistar, yeah. And we've seen all these other teams kind of raise their game. I guess my question is, at what point do the scales get totally tipped that, you know, you really do have all of the best kind of talent on all the best kind of terrains and all the best um, styles of racing that we're just going to start seeing uh, an SD Works being totally dominant um, across the whole calendar. I mean, I guess the thing for them, at least or for us, more to the point, is that they'll be losing two proven winners on the squad from the racing side of it next year, at least, with Vanderbrecher and uh, Vanderbrook Black moving behind the scenes. Um but they're going to be just, not just as daunting, obviously, but I think the experience they're going to bring to the team car is going to be phenomenal. But at, at least they won't be on the road winning the races. I think the reason for them signing Kopecky is that they wanted, as a team and as the sponsors, they wanted to reinforce their um, their Belgian roots and they wanted to sign a, a Belgian rider that was important for them. And that's, um, I think, where a lot of Kopecky sort of fitted in with them. But I, I think... I think I mean, yes, obviously, and SD Works are leading the um, the world rankings and they're leading the Women's World Tour rankings. But I think there's enough interest from the other teams as it stands at the moment to not be too worried about too much dominance just yet. And I think other teams are still almost finding their feet, Movistar in particular, that hopefully there will be enough competition, A, on the road, but also B, for signatures, you know, whenever everyone else is moving into their contract negotiation phase around August. Um, but certainly, yeah, it's a daunting field as ever. SD Works are a recruitment company, aren't they? So we can't expect them not to yeah, re- that's tr- yeah. recruit people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bit busy on LinkedIn yeah. between races. Um, well, behind the scenes on the team that Kopecky is leaving, Live Racing, Lars Bohm has announced that he's leaving that team. He was performance manager. He signed a new contract with another team for 2022 um, and was planning to see the year out with Liv, but management have decided to let him go immediately and make that known immediately. Um, and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because he was brought in as performance manager with the, with the priority of supporting the team, really, for the first ever women's prairie Roubaix. That was due to take place last year. It didn't. It was due to take place this spring. It hasn't. And now it's due to take place, of course, in October. Um, but he's leaving before the race that he was essentially brought in for. And the fact that he's not starting his new contract yet is a really interesting one. I mean, Liv have said that they have big ambitions for the future. They want to set their plans in place. They want to make sure they know the direction they're taking. And obviously, Bohm doesn't fit in with that. So he might as well go. But we can only suspect he's going to another women's team then because otherwise there would be no reason for him to leave before the um, women's Paris-Roubaix. Yeah. What a departure from there. It's interesting because, uh, well, we hear from Paulina Royakas a bit later, but, I mean, she puts a lot of her kind of uh, newfound confidence down to the presence of Lars Boom in, you know, in the team. Because um, sometimes you do hear in cycling, oh, this person's leaving, and it's all a little bit... Because it is kind of a little bit, you know, mysterious the way they kind of announced it. You know, they announced he was going but can't say where and whatever and he's going very early in the season. And sometimes it's just one of those creative differences things that, you know, just some kind of disagreement behind the scenes that they're going. But obviously he was getting on very well. At least, the you know, the riders um, really responded to him. Um, so it would be very interesting to find out where he, he ends up. SD Verks continue yeah. dominance. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Then scrap everything I just said. <laughs> but that then is your news roundup.
Well, we joked about Lars Bohm joining SD Works, and within hours of us recording the podcast, it was announced that he will join SD Works from the 1st of October on a two-year contract. So there we go. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. I am Hannah Ludwig and I'm riding for Women's World Tour Team Canyons Ram. I've been using Super Sapiens since uh, the end of 2020 um, because our team got it as a new sponsor. Uh, it's basically pretty easy to put it on. You like have a device where, you, where there's a needle and then you kind of click it to your arm. You don't really feel it during and you just wear it for two weeks and then you connect it to an app and it takes one hour to like be online and then it works for two weeks and usually it doesn't come off it never came off for me so that's pretty cool i think everybody that ever did a stage race knows how hard it is to like fuel for several days and i think that's where it's the most interesting and most important maybe to keep track of how your fueling strategy is and this is what i'm really looking forward to get deeper into it to track how my fueling is during the stage race. Well, that was Hannah Ludwig of Canyon SRAM talking about her using Super Sapiens, which is our sponsor. So thank you very much to them for coming on board this year and supporting the cycling podcast. And there is we have another athlete using Super Sapiens in our midst. The very our very own Richard Moore. We can see you've got it on there, Richard. How are you getting and on? And you've got yours, Rose, although I don't think you're wearing it yet. I do. I'm not wearing... No, look, I haven't, haven't got mine on quite yet, but I have just received it, so I'm looking forward to giving it a go. Well, yeah, I just fixed up at the weekend, and I'm learning a lot about my blood glucose levels. Um, it's very it's very interesting. There is a lot to learn. Um, Super Sapiens were in the news this week, not explicitly, but the UCI reaffirmed the rule that they are disallowed in competition the super sapiens devices any any devices that measure your glucose levels for the moment um that's not a change that's always been the case um they are primarily a training tool so obviously still allowed um for athletes like me to use in training um <laughs> but uh, but no it's really it's really interesting i'm enjoying uh, getting to know there's so so much now you can you can learn from from things like this, um, you know, and, and apply it not just to your training but daily life. And I'm, I'm as you mentioned earlier, I'm looking forward to wearing it at the Tour de France and seeing, uh, because you know it can be very useful for for work as well. I think you were mentioning that Orla, that you know you're doing quite demanding shifts and need to be properly fueled for that as well. Yeah, and I can't wait to receive mine for that reason because I don't think I realised how much probably which is ridiculous because we've got such an awareness of sugar these days, but just how much um, 
I don't know, maybe imbalance I have in my sugar levels or how much I rely on sugar, essentially. Because when I went to the Giro, being away from home, I thought I'm going to be really healthy. Um, I'm going to cut out all badness from my diet. And I went on this sort of shake diet because I thought, well, that's how I'm getting all my proteins and all my vitamins. And I know it's like it was plant-based and everything. And within three days, I almost passed out on air. We were doing this segment when I when we had an interview um, and I was presenting around it. And during the interview, I thought, I'm actually, I'm not going to be able to finish this live show. I'm going to, I'm going to fall. Oh, I'm going to keel over live on air. Um, and then it was only that night that I was talking to my husband. And he said, are you doing that shake diet? Like there's no sugar in that. You know, that's probably what it is. So I had this massive sugar crash or sugar withdrawal. And it was really scary. Like it made me feel absolutely terrible. So I, so yeah, I face planted into like a, a kilo bag of Haribo after that. But I'd much rather be able to regulate my blood sugar levels. So I'm really excited about getting mine and giving it a go. So yeah, we'll see. I'll be on fire for the Tour de France. Yeah, I mean, there's a massive health component to it, um, which is another really interesting aspect of it. And and if riders aren't fueled properly, they can put themselves in danger, you know, as well. Yeah. Um, now, fueling has always been part of sport and exercise, uh, but anything that you can, anything that can help you get that right, is surely a good thing. So anyway, um, yeah, enjoying wearing it so far. Well. Clearly, it's it's doing wonders for the uh, members of the Canyon SRAM team that are, are using it, and uh, Hannah Ludwig being one of them. But obviously, her teammate at the Tour de Suisse, Elise Chabet, uh, won that first stage in extraordinary uh, extraordinary fashion, beating Lizzie Dynan, as Orla mentioned earlier. Shall we hear from her and um, hear a little bit about her roller coaster of a race? So first of all, Elise, congratulations on your recent win. How did that feel? Yeah, thank you. I mean, it was quite crazy. We <laughs> did quite a perfect race with the with the team, and yeah, at the end to to finish it with the victory, it was uh, yeah. Actually, I still can't believe it. It's, <laughs> it's really nice for me. <laughs> I mean, finding yourself in a one-on-one sprint with Lizzie Dignan must be quite daunting. What were you? What was going through your mind? in that final straight yeah I mean like when I attacked I and then I, I looked back and I saw that Lizzie was in my wheel and we were like the two of us I was like yeah it would be super hard to beat her in the sprint and uh, I mean but after that I was like to be five in the sprint or to be two with the sprint Lizzie would be there anyway so mm-hmm. I think it's it's even better to be two of two uh, only two so then yeah, I really like during 10Ks, I was like, oh, how, how can I beat her in the sprint? I was like, should I attack like 1K to go or like something? Then the DS in the car was really helpful. It really like helped me with the, um, with the sprinting. And yeah, it really pushed me to give my best. And I really didn't want to be second. <laughs> so I really tried and <laughs> and to actually achieve it. It was, it was, yeah, it was crazy. Because I know she's one of the best sprinters and uh, she won worlds like this so yeah I'm, I'm quite proud yeah quite special I guess as well in terms of pride winning a home race in the national champions jersey must have added to that did it yeah for sure it pushed me also a lot and we were like three Swiss in this breakaway like Marlene, Yolanda mm-hmm. and me and I was like so now I'm I'm the only one left with Izzy so I have to win because mm-hmm. if I don't I mean Maybe the other could have done it, and yeah, it's super nice uh, as a Swiss rider to win, to to have won this first stage uh, in front of everybody. Yeah. I really wanted to show that I can finish the job, and I can like also 
with the race because from the spring classics I'm, I feel like I'm really in good shape and uh, I, I really missed some some occasions and I was always in the front and attacking and trying to help the team and yeah the other day in, at the Tour de Suisse I, I was actually I really had my personal cards and I really wanted to show that when I have this free card I can really finish the job so yeah I'm, I'm really really happy that I could do it it's often speculated upon Elise when a rider takes a first professional win that it changes something that it changes them psychologically or I guess gives them that confidence to know that they can do it again does it feel different to you now yeah for sure now I think like maybe people will more looking at me at on the finish I don't know now, now maybe they will think that I can actually sprint I don't know <laughs> but uh, yeah for sure I'm more and more confident and also like I have the feeling I'm more and more like also at the end of the races I can really do something and uh, yeah for sure now I, I I actually know I can really I can win so so that's that's really cool and also like in the team now we have some really good riders and we can play a lot of cards so it's really nice to feel that we have a lot of riders that can actually win. Is that how it feels on the team? Because there have been two wins so far this season, yourself and Alice on the team. So there haven't been an awful lot of team wins, but does it feel like there's a lot of potential there? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, we had only two wins during this season, but I feel like we always there at the end and also a lot of girls have a lot of potential in this team and I'm pretty sure every one of us can win. So I think it will come more and more. It's just that, yeah, I think it's also, I mean, with Nikki, we're also quite new in the team and I think we just need maybe a bit of time to, to really be there, but I'm pretty sure, like, like she also can she will win pretty soon (laughs) and what about stage two then of the Tour de Suisse you had the unfortunate accident were you happy with how the team played stage two tactically yeah I mean it was like we knew it would be really hard with Lizzie because yeah she's still a good sprinter and she also had a really good team and I'm pretty sure she she really wanted this jersey hmm. and uh, uh, so we knew it would be quite hard to defend it but we had a good tactic I mean first we wanted to, to send a breakaway then like I mean then there will not be any bonification sprints anymore but actually it was really hard to go away because the track was the track team was there all the time like covering everything yeah I mean also in this bunch it was super hard for me to move like normally it's it's quite okay to move in the bunch for me but this day it was crazy like everybody was super crazy and it was wet and super technical and I think the team really played a good really like rode in a good way and really tried everything for me and I just I just couldn't finish it so yeah so you think it was more your own issue you don't think there's anything that the team could have done differently to deny Lizzie those those time bonuses no, I guess I think, like, the, the girls really try like they try to go in the break and then they really try to to go for the bonification and like to avoid that Lizzie has it yeah at the end like I just couldn't go for the sprint I really tried but to move in this bunch it was super hard for me and to to be in the position it was super hard so at the end I just couldn't do it and I mean yeah we tried and we tried again and we tried again and I mean mm-hmm. it's yeah at the end I lose it for one second and yeah, I was really disappointed. Also because the team really wrote for me and like Alice could have maybe win this this stage at the end, but mm. she really wrote for me also and yeah. So of course I was disappointed, but at least we tried and 
I mean, it's only one second, so I think we can next year we can come back and and win it. And I guess the disappointment is relative. I'm I'm guessing that before the race, you would have thought you'd be quite happy with second overall. Yeah, actually, that was always I was thinking like after the stage two, like everybody was like, yeah, you should already be happy with your your stage win yesterday and. Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm I'm really happy with it. But once you wear the leader jersey, of course, you also want to defend mm. it and you want to give everything. So, I mean, it's normal to be disappointed also. But when I look back now, I, I think I can also be proud of what we did with the team. And so now I feel like I'm more happy than, mm. than yesterday. And it will be better and better. It's <laughs> good to hear. What has it been like for you joining Canyon Tram? How have you found the team? Yeah, so I mean, last year was quite hard with the with the end of our team, and mm. it was also really a rush to find another team because it was September and all the teams were complete. So yeah, it was it was really difficult moment, and actually I didn't have a lot of offers also because I, I didn't have a lot of results, and yeah, it was quite hard for me. And uh, at the end, I mean, Ronnie agreed to to take me, so it was it was really nice because I didn't really show something. So I think it was really good opportunity for me. And uh, I think since the beginning, I, I felt really good in this team. Like everybody was really welcoming with the, with us, with Mickey and me. And since the first training camp, it was actually actually really nice. Like the girls really were really nice with us. And also the staff is really cool. So it, I'm really happy. I think I will, I will not change anything. What kind of freedom is there within Canyon Tram within a race? I'm wondering how much of the race tactics are decided in advance, how how strict those tactics are or how much you you decide the race according to who's, who's doing better on the day, if you know what I mean. So that's one thing I found it really cool in this team is that I think everybody can have his her own opportunity. Like if you play it well, you can, like everybody can win. Like for example, like for the, the stage in Tour de Suisse, like I, I was not like the leader of, of this stage. Like, Everybody could have gone for it, like and uh, so first we wanted maybe to go for Alexis if if it was a bunch sprint, and it just depends on the situation. And at the end, I could go for it, but but it was really open. So I think that's yeah, that's something really cool in this team is that it's quite free. Like it depends how how you feel during the race and how everybody is feeling, and we just communicate and and it's working like this. It seems from the outside to be quite different to how, for example, SD Works might ride when you might think they've got any one number of riders who could win on any given day, but they seem to have quite clear race tactics in advance. Do you think that it's quite a different approach to a team like SD Works? Yeah, I mean, I just think that SD Works, like, they look like this, but I think I think mm. it's actually also quite free in their team mm. I don't know I mean I don't have a lot of, of experience with that but I think also in SD work everybody can win it's crazy how they how they ride and I have the feeling they actually they are also like all really free to, to go for it it's always really interesting from the outside because you think you can understand a team's tactics whenever actually it can be whatever happens on the road really yeah actually I think it's really hard to understand all the tactics because sometimes you you feel like like in SD work sometimes you feel like oh so today for sure it's for Anna mm-hmm. and then at the end you see Anna in the front walking so yeah I think it's re- it's really hard to know and 
particularly in SD work, I mean, it's too hard because all the riders are super strong yeah. and actually all the riders can win. So, yeah. So where do you go from here then, Elise? What, how do you see your career panning out from here? Or where would you like to see it go, I guess? So actually it's funny because um, uh, last month I still had a contract with the hospital from November. <laughs> <laughs> so normally I should have stopped cycling and start working in the hospital in November but then like two weeks ago I decided oh I should just keep going a bit because I mean I really like my life now I really like what I'm doing and yeah the environment is really nice and it's a bit sad to stop something when when I have the feeling I don't really finish it so so that's how I see it now I will just keep riding and I think if I still like it mm. I will just keep going and we will see what's happen I think we have whole, we have whole life to, to work and yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, still, I still feel like I can improve some things and I can I can learn a lot and so yeah I will keep going with this so you've been an Olympic kayaker you are a doctor you're a professional bike racer how would you identify yourself these days as a, as a bike rider first and foremost yeah I think I'm a bike rider now for sure I mean I just had many things in my life but it's like like I don't know it's like a, a way in my life and first I was a kayaker and then I kept going and then I started medical school and then I <laughs> just became a bike rider but I never planned all of this it's just I don't know it's just coming like this in my life and that's also really cool because mm -hmm. then I don't know what's happening tomorrow maybe I don't know you never know what's what's happening and I think you just have to take the opportunities and and I think, yeah, just be happy with this and, and try the things. And that's the cool thing in life. Um, I read recently that you um, still consider yourself to be a rookie in cycling. Is that still the case, though, after your win? Yeah, I think that's still the case. I still have a lot of things to learn. And like when I'm when the team is around me, I still learn a lot of things. Like all the other riders, even if they are super young, I still learn a lot from them. So so yeah I would say I'm still I'm still in in a learning process and uh, it yeah I want this this stage but I mean I don't know if I could do it again I think <laughs> I've, I, it's it's super hard for me to to believe in this and like to to be like oh now I want so I can win again I mean I think riding like riding in a race is like everything can happen you cannot really like plan something so yeah this might be an impossible question to answer because you are a female bike rider and not a, a male bike rider, but what is it, do you think, about women's racing that allows you to be learning these kinds of things slightly older than in the men's peloton? It feels like, from the outside, experience is more likely to be an advantage in women's racing than it is in men's racing. Yeah, actually, I agree. When you when you look at the, the bunch, most of the, the biggest rider in the women bunch are like older than the men. Actually, that gives me hope because I'm quite old already. So that's <laughs> it's all relatively. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes like, oh, I'm already super old. I, I, I mean, but then that, yeah, when I look at Anemic or like these other riders, I'm like, yeah, I, I still have time to learn. I still have time to improve and, and I still have a lot of time to, to win some, some races. So that that's super cool, I think. Do you know why that might be? Is there anything that you can think of that would be the reason that older riders are do, do seem to do better in women's, well, they do better in women's racing than they do in men's racing? Is it the difference yeah, in the levels of professionalism? Like, I think this sport is like a super hard sport. I mean, you have to do everything right. Like not, not only like during the races, but also all around, like about the training, about the, the food, about 
like how you recover, how you are mentally, and this kind of thing. I think you learn only by experience, mm. and I think that's why we need sometimes to to really know about it. Like for example, training. I mean, when you're young, you just go full gas all mm. the time, and you just I don't know, you just like ride your bike and go go always super hard in training. And I think maybe after you learn that. Actually, you have to go super easy and then for the intensity, super hard. And even that, sometimes I, I feel like I, I still have to learn this mm. kind of things. <laughs> okay, well, that was uh, Elise Chabé talking to you, Orla, about her Tour de Suisse, which was, I mean, what did we make of the tactics? She, she put it all on herself for um, losing that overall title on the second day, on the second stage. Uh, but what did we think? Was there anything more to it? Team tactics let her down a little bit? Well, I don't know. And and it was really interesting to hear Elisa's take on it because whenever uh, we'd watch the race, Richard sent a message to the group, basically like, what was going on with Canyon Tram? Am I allowed to say that, Richard? Yeah, Ross, you've said it now. (laughs) And I always find it really interesting then to talk to the riders and see actually what was going on. And I just wonder sometimes whether, um, you know, tactics can seem really obvious and this is probably an obvious thing to say, but it can seem really obvious when we're watching. And actually, it's just a case of of trying and trying and trying to make that happen. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, and as Elise said, it was a really rough day. It was wet, really technical. Um, it was really aggressive. You know, those first couple of intermediate sprints, they couldn't get a breakaway to go. I mean, Canyon Strand were trying to get in the breakaway. They couldn't. But even any breakaway that didn't have Trek and it would have been fine. Um, and it just didn't work out their way according to Elise, at least. Um, But as she says, a second on GC by one second and a stage win is a phenomenal result for her and it will only give her give her more confidence and also it's, it is a really welcome outcome for Canyon Tram that's only their second win this year which actually when I mentioned to Elise she sounded really surprised by not really surprised but almost like that realisation she was like oh yeah oh I feel like we've won more because we've so much potential and we've so much momentum and we're always in the mix um, so you know, from the outside, we it's easier to judge, I think, on the end result when actually something clearly is working right in there um, and it's led to a very recent win for them and she's hopeful that's going to be the start of more from them, um, from several riders across the rest of the season. Well, it was great seeing how delighted Lizzie Dynan was with that win. It was it showed you that it wasn't an easy win mm. by a long stretch. I mean, that's kind of really showing off how cycling, there is so much going on in a stage race. There's so many mini battles going on. And it's not just about the case of being the first across the finish line. I mean, I, I was surprised watching that stage unfold that, you know, she was leading the race overall. She did have a, a cushion and I felt they could have ridden more defensively of, of that. Um, and they did have a, you know, they had a, an interesting couple of very strong climbers. Alexis Ryan, though, has got a pretty good finish. And Hannah Barnes as well can sprint. And it seemed, you know, get, getting a breakaway was a, a good idea. But in the in the, in the the failure to do so, um, put everything into trying to um, stop Lizzie Dagnan from getting the, the bonus seconds. Easier said than done. You know, it's not it's not PlayStation. Um, and Elise Shabby is is quite inexperienced. You know, she's still quite new to the sport, and and I think she showed that a little bit towards the end when she looked, you know, a little bit desperately was trying attacking herself. Um, when you know she still kind of had everything to to play for. She didn't really back herself in a sprint against Lizzie Dagnan, despite having beaten her on day one. It seemed to me, 
Um, and I think, um, you know, it was interesting that, you know, that Kanyashram team didn't have their, their best rider, Kashinivia Doma, in it. And they, 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 did, they did ride well. They all rode well, but um, it didn't always look all that cohesive. It didn't look like they were all riding to the same plan to me. Well, that's what I find really interesting asking Elise, um, what their team tactics tend to be and whether they go in with a protected rider and they make it happen for that protected rider or whether they sort of go with the flow of the race. And I was surprised the extent to which she said that they have that freedom and that she was not the rider they were going for on stage one. Um, she said, you know, Alice could easily have won that stage. They ended up riding for Elise. Um, but it seems to be a more fluid situation during a race than I would have expected. Um, and when I asked her about SD Verks and whether, you know, she thought they're, they're, theirs is more strategized or or at least that's maybe the wrong way to describe it, but whether they had a strategy in advance that they tended to stick more closely to, she seemed to think that, that maybe it's more fluid throughout the peloton than it might look from the outside anyway. I mean, maybe that's because you always think that other teams are riding like you, but... Um, yeah, it doesn't seem to be... Well, it's not. She said it's not a case of they get on the team bus in the morning and say, right, here's who we're going to ride for and here's plan A, B and C for that rider. It's more, you know, here are some outcomes and let's see what happens on the road. So it's, yeah, I was I was, I was, was interested in that, actually. I, th- I think it's interesting to see um, Elise's um, emergence as a potential uh, winner because I think that, if you're seeing it even in flesh I mean she's been so active this season and I think you can't miss her because obviously Swiss champion she's got this red jersey with a big white cross on it and you you know you can always pick her out of the peloton but she's also always so active like at Flesh Wallone I remember her being in that little um, trio um, off the front um, with Anna Henderson Lucinda Brand which you know was the kind of that breakaway was the one that kind of animated the rest of the race and and uh, well, obviously, Anna van der Breggen was just going to win that, whatever, wasn't she? But, um, you know, it's been amazing to see her be so attacking and to see her in the Spanish races as well. Um, but I think she likes to kind of, she came second to Grace Brown in that Burgos stage as well. She prefers to be kind of out the front on her own. I think that's, she's only in her fourth year as as a pro. So, um, and not even a pro, because obviously as as um, you spoke to her about all of she's, she is a doctor. So, you know, she, she hasn't taken much time um, out of side of doing that. But I think that, you know, that, that kind of, um, enjoyment of being in the pack and being able to move yourself around um, in that close proximity to all those other riders is something that she's probably still working on a little bit, I should imagine, because all the other times that we've seen her really do well, she has been striking out on her own or out being allowed to be at the front of of the pack and be, you know, pulling a a break back or going solo. So I think it's nice to see a bit of... An emergence that she can win, and then I think once she gets those other kind of, um, I don't know, it's the peloton et- etiquette, but it's the bike handling that goes with being in a in a big pack. I think once she gets that sorted, then she'll be really unstoppable. Shoot, uh, shoot at the du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour at the Tour de France, interrupting this month's episode of the cycling podcast Femina to remind us to tell you that it's supported by ShipStation. Now, ShipStation, you can ship more and spend less. If you sell anything online or you have stuff to send out, as we do at the Cycling Podcast, ShipStation could be the answer. It's the number one shipping software 
for e-commerce sellers with more five-star reviews than anyone. We do, as I said, send a lot of things out. If you become a generous friend of the podcast, we'll send you a casquette or a tea towel or both if you're a very generous friend of the podcast. And Lionel Burney, who manages this process for us and has also over the years sent out lots of books that he's published and written, he has used ShipStation and so I asked him about it. And he said, if you do sell online, it's very, very simple. Lionel hooked up his Squarespace website to ShipStation. There was a very easy to follow step-by-step process. Uh, all the couriers were in one place. He didn't have to shop around. ShipStation really laid it on a plate for you to choose your courier. You choose how you want to dispatch your item, print out your labels, stick them on, and voila. Lionel said it really cut down the number of steps that you normally take to organize these things. So. ShipStation comes highly recommended from him. Uh, with ShipStation, small businesses can now access the same rates reserved for Fortune 500 companies without the contracts or commitments. So ship more in less time. Um, we've got a special offer for listeners of the Cycling Podcast Femina. Cycling is the offer code to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free shipping. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, Type in cycling, that's ShipStation, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com and enter the offer code cycling. Make ship happen. Cryptic criteria. (laughs) Yes, it's that time. (laughs) I know you're both so delighted and excited. It's cryptic criterion time. So I'm going to give you a vaguely cryptic clue and you have to tell me the name of the rider in the women's cycling peloton that it relates Basically, to. Basically, Rose gives a clue, I give rubbish suggestions, and Richard gets it right. That <laughs> tends to be how it goes. <laughs> Whereas Richard is just more like, you know, sits silently, meditating Strategic. on it. Yeah, he waits yeah. for the answer I'm to Ger- appear. I'm Germany here. You're Germany. <laughs> the answer will appear to in front of his eyes. Okay, so this time I'm looking for the full name, or the clue relates to the full name. Okay, are you ready? Ready, ready. Right, it's, so at the moment it's 2-1 to Richard. Oh, yeah, get on with it. Um, so <laughs> let's see if we can even, the scores will even up or Richard will extend his lead. Let's see. Okay, ready. She will create you a suit with all her cunning skills. Taylor Wiles, Taylor Wiles. Oh! Yeah! <laughs> I had almost not even finished the question. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. I had butterflies for that one, adrenaline. That was emphatic. Yeah. That was Very emphatic good. win. Although I, but that's good, that I keeps mean, it exciting. I would say incorrect spelling oh, of Taylor. Yeah, but yeah, but when when it was like um when it was that one about Come eating on, breakfast at a certain time, it was Lisa Bran Hour. That's definitely nowhere near <laughs> the right spelling. Isn't it? I always thought she was Lisa Bran Hour. <laughs> brand hour so um congratulations all of that that evens Why, it up it keeps you. it oh no, it's almost like on a nice keeps it yeah, yeah. now we go to pen- go now we go wire. to penalties <laughs> yeah oh my god somebody's gearing up for the euros hey yeah um yes so yeah congratulations oh sorry we, we've got extra time and sudden death before we get to penalties yeah. a long way from penalties yet oh, that, I'm have that to was a good one though that was a good one time. Rose. that like was that a very one. good yeah. one yeah oh, okay good that's annoying because uh, my boyfriend phil came up with that so it's, that's why I said it's not my best <laughs> <laughs> oh well i like phil doing that uh, we clearly we're, we're in a similar wavelength clearly damn damn 
I, th- I think you and Richard have got a more obscure way of thinking. Mm. You, you clearly tap into that, Richard. Yeah. I think. yeah. Maybe maybe we should try this. Maybe do it turn about. Okay. You, okay, Rick then Rose see. Sometimes fell. Yeah. And see if there's a consistency. Yeah. Here. And then we can all swap like, partners. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a different kind of podcast. Shoot, shoot that arrière du peloton. Cycling podcast team car. The back of the pack, please. This episode of the Cycling Podcast Femina is supported by LinkedIn Jobs. Now, today, many small business owners are busier than ever. And because they're focused on managing and growing their business, they can't always spend the time they wish they could on recruiting. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find and hire the best candidates for free. And we'll tell you about a special offer that they're offering uh, in a moment. But we use LinkedIn Jobs ourselves to search for a new audio producer to work in Spain uh, on our new sister podcast, El Cycling Podcast, hosted by Rob Hatch and Lara Messiger. Obviously, we're looking for somebody with very specific skills, um, audio production skills primarily, but we also wanted them to speak um, English as well as good Spanish. They needed to be flexible, be prepared to change their plans at short notice, ideally also to be based in Madrid, where Laura lives. Um, and we, through this process, uh, well, we were inundated with very strong applicants it was a remarkably targeted way of finding the right candidate there was also an excellent system with linkedin jobs to organize the applicants according to suitability and to filter them and uh, well of the over 50 applicants that we had one drifted to the top of the pile his name was marcos cuevas and he's produced all eight episodes of el cycling podcast so far and it's been a, a huge hit so through linkedin jobs we definitely found the right person get started by posting your job for free to reach linkedin's network of over 30 million professionals in the uk fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience skills and motivation you need and then use the simple tools to filter and prioritize the top candidates that you'd like to interview linkedin jobs will help you hire the right person for your role and your first job post is free just visit linkedin.com forward slash cycle Again, that's linkedin.com forward slash cycle to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, next up, we have an interview that I did with Paulina Royakas. And I actually, at the beginning of the call, when I was um, asking Paulina if it was Paulina or Paulina, she said, actually, my name is actually on my birth certificate, my passport is actually just Pauline, no A. Oh. Which was really interesting because she was not born in Canada but raised in Canada for the first eight years and uh, her parents are Dutch and gave her Pauline but they were presuming that everyone pronounced it Paulina but then everyone pronounced it Pauline and then so she just sticks an A on it so that everyone knows how to pronounce it. So did she say though was it Pauline or Pauline? She said... Because in Dutch it would be Paul. Ah, she said Paulina. Oh, okay. I say that well, now, I'm and now I'm going to listen to it back. Dutch and I've, friend who's called. <laughs> I, mean, I would have got it wrong, <laughs> even having asked. I've a, I've a Dutch friend called Paul, and we call him ah. Paul. But we, but I could also be getting that wrong, and he'd be like, "What's Why that Irish he, accent? Yeah. Why don't you just call me Paul?" <laughs> <laughs> but you can just blame your Irish accent; it works perfectly. Yeah, I do on everything. Yeah, so. Let's hear from Paulina Royakas, who's had uh, tremendous, plenty of top tens uh, this season, has really kind of stepped up her game, I think. So let's hear about what she has to say about it. Paulina, congratulations on uh, what's been a great season so far. What, what did you make of it? Do you, do you think it's been a particularly good season? Or um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I work hard for this um, 
the last three years, I really joined with my team CCCC and uh, I learned uh, a lot from Marianne Vos. And um, yeah, because of her uh, riding the last three years, I was like also with food and how she focused on the races. And yeah, you, you can see if she wants to win or um, is a race for her, then you see her focus really um, in her. And yeah, and those kind of things, uh, I yeah, I saw the last few years and I learned from it. And uh, yeah, and it was really sad that she leave. Uh, but yeah, I, I get it. And then I had like this feeling from, Mm. this year I'm 28 <laughs> yeah I want to also improve myself because I know the last few years it was in me my power and everything yeah I, I had it in me but it didn't really come out of some races but not yeah only a few races and yeah this year I was like I had a lot of confidence on my team and they really trust me and uh, with working with Lars Bohm as uh, director was uh, yeah, he gave me a lot of confidence and he put me into the races really good. Like, focus on this wheel and uh, use your power on the right moment. And yeah, and after, yeah, and like now you see this year, I yeah, make a step in it. And um, um, yeah, and I enjoy it really a lot. And I, I only want more and more. <laughs> so, obviously, you know, Mariana Voss is, is a massive asset to any team, but now that she's moved to Jumbo Visma, does that kind of help give you more opportunities? Because, you know, the team aren't all focused on getting Marianne. Yeah, Yeah, but still, the last few years, I really like to work uh, with her, for her also, you know. And from that, I learned it. And then she leaves, yeah. And then I saw opportunity for myself because I know it was in me, but... It didn't really come out the last few years and yeah what do you think the biggest change has been for you is it is it just confidence or have you changed how yeah. you approach races or training or yeah it's a, a confidence from the team uh, that you get and yeah then because of that you with lost bone and with my trainer and everything um yeah you have the feeling in you from okay this is my race this is my day uh, the team is behind me. They 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 give me the trust. So yeah, that works a lot. And um, I also re- really was focusing like I want to do this this year. And I make a step like doing altitude tent in April for the first time. Yeah, I was also really focusing training, eat, and yeah, take care of yourself, rest. Yeah, that worked out pretty good those three weeks and. Um, that's why I made the decision to do uh, altitude training in Livigno, that you also have like the climbing in your life. So, I mean, that fourth, um, when you came fourth in that state, that, you know, huge stage <laughs> in the world for a Burgos, did you feel like, oh yeah, I can see the progress that I've made already this season from that? Yeah, that was quite a surprise also, but yeah, I had a, the, this, the races before, I was like, really, really, I went too much in the races. I was like jumping with with attacks on the climb and everything. And um, that day, um, I had a plan to only focus on Anna and Anamik and stuck in their reels. And let's see how far I can come. Mentally, I was also really focused on them. And yeah, in the race, I was 
yeah mentally really good and i had the trust for myself that i can do good results and yeah um yeah i was stuck there quite long so i was really surprised and happy with my fourth place because the, yeah the, the three girls who are in front of me are really big girls and um about this fourth place i uh i want more and more so <laughs> they give me a lot of trust yeah now some big races are coming uh, la course and uh, the giro and san sebastian those kind of races i really like and um and um, that I finished Burg was really good. I have a really good training camp here. So I feel a lot of confidence and I'm not afraid of them. I can tell you. I was going to say that must be because, you know, um, Anna van der Breggen and Amin van Vleuten are, you know, the greatest climbers that we've seen in yeah. a long, long time. And, you know, it's just always like all of the Spanish races last month was kind of uh, one or the other winning, you know, almost all the races. What is it like um, start it, going on the start line against them or, you know, realising you've got this massive climb and you're in a group and they're in the same group? You know, how do you manage that? Um, yeah, well, I say I'm, I'm not afraid of them. Um, I know they're really big riders, uh, but I um, mentally they're not going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, maybe because I want uh, too much, I think. Um, I want to give everything and... Uh, it doesn't matter uh, if they run in front of me, behind me. It, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> the cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks very much to Science in Sport, our longtime sponsor. If you want 25% off all your Science in Sport goodies, including the tiramisu energy bakes, not gels, as I said in the regular podcast this week, not gels, energy bakes. Uh, the Ooh, new tiramisu range good. came out during the Giro. Um, if you'd like mm. to try them, sound delicious, haven't tried them yet, go to sciencesport.com and enter the code SISCP25 at the checkout. SISCP25. I would have sung there, but I was just still thinking about the tiramisu energy bank. <laughs> still daydreaming. Stop drooling, Rose. <laughs> In Kansas last weekend, the winner of Unbound, arguably the world's biggest gravel race, was Lauren de Crescenzo, who covered the 200 miles in 12 hours and 6 minutes to finish some 16 minutes ahead of the defending champion, Amity Rockwell. De Crescenzo had two early punctures, but she led alone for the last hour or so of the race to claim perhaps the biggest victory in a cycling career that has been punctuated by bad luck, adversity and a life-altering brain injury. Not life-altering in the way that you might imagine, because after recovering from her crash in 2016, De Crescenzo took a master's degree in public health and became an epidemiologist specialising in injury prevention. When I called her three days after her win at Unbound, she was back at work at the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. Hello? Hey Lauren, it's Richard Moore here. Hi. <laughs> Apologies for the crackly line. I didn't really feel that I could ask her to interrupt her quite important work to find a better connection. And I wasn't the only journalist to have called. She said she had been overwhelmed by the interest in her win. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've never... I've won races before, but this has never happened. No one's ever cared this much. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is that, do you think? Do you think you've just... It's just a kind of... Uh, we're in this kind of sweet spot where people are really interested in gravel racing and th this event is obviously the the biggest one sorry that's very american of me to say but 
it's like <laughs> it's the Super Bowl uh, gravel cycling. I mean, I've won gravel races before, but I haven't won the Super Bowl ever. Or my coworkers compared it to winning the Tour de France of gravel. It's just like the ultimate gravel event to win because it kind of encompasses everything that makes gravel hard, which mm. is like the terrain and yeah, the, the opportunities to flat, uh, just being out there for 12 hours and just, it's just totally different, kind of encompasses everything and like kind of tests like who is the hardest man and who is the hardest woman. And for you, I mean, going back there, you, you fell and broke your collarbone the last time, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I sure did. <laughs> so, unfinished business. I had some serious unfinished business. My first goal was not breaking my collarbone and uh, at least finishing 200 miles. I mean, my goal was to win. I knew I had the fitness. I knew if everything went right, I could win because I have the fitness to do it. But so much can go wrong and so much has gone wrong in so many other races that I also knew that that could happen and I have have to have the smoothest lines, my nutrition side, and like being on top of that. Because yeah, so much can happen out there in 12 hours that you need to be prepared for anything that could happen. For De Crescenzo, her victory at Unbound followed an aborted attempt last time it was on in 2019 when she crashed and broke her collarbone. Then, last year, with the coronavirus pandemic, she was in demand professionally, of course, having just qualified as an epidemiologist. And yet she took a weekend off working on the front line to attempt the Everesting world record. You set an Everesting world record as well. You're drawn to these, the kind of the most extreme end of the endurance <laughs> challenges in cycling. <laughs> in the event, she Everested inside 10 hours, breaking Katie Hall's world record and raising money for Craig Hospital in Denver, where in 2016 she had spent five weeks after suffering a traumatic brain injury. That injury altered the direction of her life. Absolutely. I just start over. Well, except I never quit cycling. I just kind of changed cycling. But yeah. everything was like starting over. Because like in that one second, like getting that traumatic brain injury, I had to like reinvent myself and my entire life in the blink of an eye. Mm. And then I did. <laughs> and it sucked. But then it was okay. But now, I mean, it's been okay recently, but it wasn't very good for a while. No. Um, what drew me to that actually was, or you can take epidemiology all sorts of directions. And the thing I chose to focus on in graduate school was injury epidemiology. So that's just like studying the rates and most of like the trends of injury in like states and communities or nations. You're just studying like injury and you're trying to prevent injury from ever happening. So after my crash, I like in the hospital, that became my new life goal. I'm like, I'm going to return to, I'm going to go back to grad school and I'm going to study injury epidemiology. <laughs> this will never happen again to anyone. And uh, yeah. Perhaps because she's been through a lot in her cycling career and professionally over the last year, she felt unexpectedly emotional at the finish of Unbound. I have never felt that emotional at a finish, just like putting your body through that much. And then it, succeeding at that and then it being over and knowing that you like completely turned yourself inside out you made all these sacrifices and training and everything it's just very satisfying and and with that very emotional because you like pushed your body to that like to that point where uh you get a little emotional mm. <laughs> but in everything i actually i did cry in everything because like Maybe I wasn't as prepared for Everesting. I didn't have a coach. 
I was just uh, kind of flying by the seat of my pants, hoping everything would go well. And this one, there was a lot more preparation, and there were no tears involved in this one, except for at the very end. Those were, like, happy tears, though. But also, like, everything, everything that, like, went into it, all of my, like, all the times I failed with cycling, like, I don't know if you did any, yeah. anything about my crash. Yeah. 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 That was how, that, that's what made it especially emotional. And then just some recent things with my grandpa just passed away from COVID and my old teammate, I was like pointing up to the sky because mm. it was just a very emotional moment. <laughs> Working on the COVID front line, racing at a high level, breaking the Everesting world record, winning Unbound. Clearly, De Crescenzo is very busy. And yet, she's still found time to get married recently. I got married last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a busy, it's a pack, you're packing a lot in. Two most important things probably that's happened in my life all in six days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's yeah. that? Are you managing a honeymoon or, or is it, was, 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 that was a honeymoon. That was the honeymoon. Basically, well, it's just been tough to travel with COVID, but he just graduated. My husband just graduated from medical school at Emory. And he's starting residency, so it's not a good time to go on a honeymoon yeah, anyway. Yeah, so we yeah. thought, why not just go to Victoria? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and what next? I mean, what next? Uh, you know, does this win? Um, does it open doors for you? Does it create new opportunities uh, for your racing as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the next race on my uh, calendar is uh, Pro Nats in uh, Knoxville. I'm going to be doing. Uh, <laughs> I've been in the TT position a lot lately, spending a lot of time there, mm. doing the time trial and the race. Like, that's my next race. But I think this win opens a whole... I think we could really change the game right now for female cycling because it's kind of like the posts from people just about, like, how little attention compared to the men the women were getting. And I think it's time that that needs to change because I put in just as much work as those guys did. Maybe I didn't go as fast as them, but... Mm. I definitely went to the same depths as they did, and I just, it's not cool that, you know, why the men are getting all the attention. But mm. I guess it's always been that way, but it's time for the game to change, and it's time for women to be able to, like, make professions out of cycling. No one, no professional female cyclist that I know has made any more than, like, $20,000, at least in the United States. And that's just, like, I'd rather work... You could work at McDonald's for more money. So... This all just needs to change. I'm working a full-time job, and it's just, it's unsustainable. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is all unsustainable. Yeah, I can't be doing all this stuff, like, especially this week. I'm like, uh, I gotta work, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. Still working 40 hours a week because cycling does not pay the bills. You know, would you like to be a full-time cyclist again? I'm open to it. We've been having those conversations, like, like especially this week. We're having that conversation again, and I am weighing all the different options. It's hard. I've been there. I wasn't planning on it, but I feel like I'm a much better cyclist than I am than I am worker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel well, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity um, to just reinvent the sport. We'll invent gravel racing and see where gravel racing can go, and see if we can have like equal platforms for men and women. And I think that's definitely. One of I'm trying to decide what I'm more passionate about yeah. that or epidemiology or I I want I want both I want to have like I want to be surrounded by like really really smart people at work and have interesting conversations and figure all this out lessening like health inequalities health inequities but I also love cycling I've always loved cycling and I want to make a difference in cycling and 
get women more attention and let everyone know that we're actually really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rose and Orla, that was Lauren de Crescenzo, um, a, a woman with a lot going on. You know, she won this the world's biggest gravel race at the weekend, Unbound, as it's now known, um, and was back at work a couple of days later uh, doing her very important job. She's an epidemiologist. As I said to her, we're all epidemiologists now, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Just some, I bet she loved that. Some more qualified just some than Some are others. professional and so, some <laughs> of us are amateur. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, she's obviously had a very busy year, but still managed to um, to, to break the Everesting world record, get married. And uh, the one thing she's not managed to do is have a honeymoon, uh, but fair enough. She was off in Kansas. Loser. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah. I made at least one loaf of banana bread, so... <laughs> And that's a loaf more than me. <laughs> <laughs> but very, uh, well, I mean, impressive, but also it's a very exciting time for gravel racing. Um, and one of the most appealing things I find about it is the difficulty in watching it. It makes it more, it kind of adds to the mystique of it. Um, yeah. And we know from watching... Mm. What, that you, that you don't know much yeah, about I mean, it? Yeah, because your imagination uh, really can go to town yeah, okay, with yeah, it a yeah, little yeah. bit. It feels... It feels like a throwback, you know. Um, we spoke to Ian Boswell as well, who won the men's race, um, about how how the race unfolded, and it, it did sound sort of quite magical, uh, an experience to to do. I asked Lauren as well whether she had enjoyed it, and she she did. Um, certainly more than Everesting, uh, because it's it's a bit more fun to going place to place, I guess. But, um. Yeah, I think it's really exciting time for gravel racing. We all love Strada Bianca. We enjoyed the gravel stage mm. at the Tour of Italy. And um, it seems that, you know, in America, that scene is really taking off and becoming quite professional. Some people don't like that. Um, but it, it, that brings opportunities to to make it bigger and to, to allow more people to see it. Yeah, we are seeing it creep more and more into traditional road racing um, and it often is the kind, those stages are the stages that you think about when, you know, I'm thinking about the uh, the Giro d'Italia, the men's Giro d'Italia that's just been having that kind of, I don't know, it wasn't gravel, was it? It was like dirt yeah, riding kind of at the dirt, end. Yeah, dirt, dirt, white, white yeah. dirt, dust roads, yeah. And then thinking about last year at the Giro Rosa when Annemiek van Fluten was just stormed ahead on that those white gravel roads there. And, and I think you're seeing more and more of um, these stage races kind of incorpor- wanting to incorporate uh, a gravel road. Whereas I remember like a f- years ago um, at the Tour de France when they were putting in cobbled stages, it was all this big kind of fury of... You know, should there be a cobbled stage? Is it not too, you know, riders could get injured or crash or is it not, you know, is it not too much of a lottery to put it into a to something that's kind of you're building through like a, a, a grand tour? And there was a similar view at the um, Giro about the, the Yeah, the, the, the yeah, white roads. yeah. I wonder if the professionalisation or the increasing professionalisation of gravel means that we'll start to have like, um, different categories so it'll be a case of oh well that's not a gravel stage of the Tour de France that's a mere unpaved mm. uh, white road dusting <laughs> stage with a fine granular consistency yeah. you know whether we'll get like gravel snobbery now whereby it's not going to qualify unless it's a certain um, grade of stone who knows but I like it I, I like, like it that. I think the, it's fun it's fun to watch anyway the gravel police yeah exactly the, the gravel no how could I put that the gravel in. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't say the it. Gra- the gra- how the do gravel you, how would you say gravel aficionados? The, the, oh, the gravel stabulary. The, the gravelionados. That's what I was trying to say. Oh, the gravel and, easy for you to say. The gravel and, yeah. the gravel and the addos. Maybe it's best they don't I exist. Bet well, Maybe it's best that. Well, I like it. And, and, and it was interesting. It. Lauren obviously has this important job, but is at a bit of a crossroads now, even in the few days since her win. Already she can see. Is it a gravel crossroads? She, well, she, she can see that um, it, there, there are doors opening and opportunities uh, perhaps ahead of her to maybe pursue cycling as a full time career again which is a difficult decision luckily she sounds like she's got an awful lot of time in her hands oh yeah <laughs> she's yeah. not busy no. or anything that's that's um, good <laughs> one thing i want to ask you both before we go this month uh the we knew already that there was the women's tour de france next year tour de france fam uh, has been confirmed and been given a slot in the calendar and world tour status um what you know a week-long race what you know and it kind of links to that last discussion what do we think what sort of course do you think? I mean, is it going to be a race that goes into the high mountains? It's going to start in Paris. Is is that feasible, or maybe mm. one of the you know the the, the massive central? Or what what do you think it it should do, and what do you think it could do? Mm. Oh, that's a big question. This, this is this is where my my um, guard is already up a little bit because I hadn't even thought that. And now I'm thinking, oh man, if we get like six, seven stages of crit racing and and sprints, then I'm gonna, I'm, I might just tear all my hair out. It has, to, it just has, to, it absolutely has to be. Fundamentally, we need at least a sprint, a medium mountain, a high mountain, and a time trial, don't we? And then gravel, anything else cobbles. around that, I don't really care. I mean, gravel would be wonderful. I, I, I mean, it doesn't need any no. of that, though, does it? It doesn't need any of that, and it doesn't really need any arbitrariness. It would be lovely to have something that is um, a pure stage race, if you know what I mean, that covers all of the disciplines. I think it absolutely needs those. And then anything else is an icing on the cake. If it's missing one of those in particular, if it's missing a high mountain um, stage, then we've got then we've got trouble, don't we? And we don't. I just don't want this to be left open to any criticism. It needs to be. It needs to be as perfect as it can be, and it needs to showcase women's racing as brilliantly as it can be because there's too much riding on it and there's too many people watching and there's there's too much that can go wrong it needs to be right i, th- I think it, it definitely needs to live up to its name basically that i mean there are a lot of um there are actually quite a lot of stage races in in women's cycling. i know i know a lot of them got cancelled this year but coming up next year um there's quite a few springing up there's a lot of them like the tour de suisse has already said that they want to develop into being a four-day five-day um stage race um so i think the key thing for this Tour de France uh, next year is that it yeah lives up to that name. You get those vistas that you expect to see when you turn in to turn on to see the Tour de France. You're expecting to see the fields of sunflowers and the big mountains and um, the Champs Elysees. You're expecting to see those, so I think those elements have to be in it. Otherwise, it it you know it is just you know why should it take any more eyeballs than you know all these other stage races that exist? So really, I think it's yeah it's set its own precedent. The only thing we know is it's setting off from Paris. And I quite like the symbolism of that. I mean that goes back to the very first Tour de France, doesn't it? Um, mm. You know, setting off from from Paris. Um, and I, I wonder if it'll retrace any of the the route of the the tour uh, for next year. Whether that will be a sort of you know a template for it, but I think you're you're right, yeah. Rose. That it has to live up to the name, and it being given that name is is significant. And 
you know, that's obviously deliberate and conscious and and kind of encouraging because it needs to, it's got, you know, there, those that, that name is established as the, the best and the toughest event in men's cycling. So it should be the equivalent in women's cycling. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it has to be the best rider in the world who wins it, you know, and, and, and that would sound obvious to anyone who doesn't follow cycling. But for that, you need the best, you need the best parkour, you need the most challenging and the most diverse parkour. So yeah, hopefully a couple of mountain stages, a sprint or two and a time trial. And Bob's your uncle. Roberta is your auntie. And <laughs> Easy off we go. like that. Well, we do actually have um, next month. La course is one of the things that we'll be talking about, uh, which is obviously what I think people had heralded a few years ago as being, oh, look, it's going to be the Women's Tour de France. But, you know, they did give it a separate name. It was only, well, it was a one-day race and then it was briefly a two-day race. But um, it has been kind of a slightly separate entity, but it is the forerunner. So we'll be talking about that. And it will uh, continue next month, apparently be... next year. It's going to carry on. Like yeah. Course. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was surprised by. Yeah. Mm. But we'll be, uh, so we'll have plenty of, to talk about because we'll have that next uh, next month. Uh, and I guess it will be the Giro Rosa will be upon us actually at that time as well. So the race organiser. Yeah. Plans to get, make it bigger and better. Well, and better. Back on the yeah. back on the Women's <laughs> World to Tour next year. Back in the Women's World Tour. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll be either, I'm not sure, depending on where the dates lie, whether we'll be looking back on the Giro Rosa or we'll be looking forward to it. But we'll have plenty to talk about regardless. So uh, until that point, uh, thank you and goodbye, Ola Shenoui. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Richard. And thank you very much, Richard Moore. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Ola. Thank you.